the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Prayers that don't get answered versus prayers that do. The question is, do your prayers get answered? If not, why? We have some answers for you next. Join us. Abounding Grace is coming up. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Welcome to the program. Pastor Gary Wagner moves us into Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. It's the follow-up to our series on the Lord's Prayer. We have one final message today and tomorrow that will close out this wonderful series we've spent the last two months on. The certainty of answered prayer. What is the certainty of answering these prayers? Well, a lot of it has to do with what we pray, when we pray, how and why we pray, which is what we've covered over the last two months here on the program. So join us as we take a look at the certainty of answered prayer. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Now, I want you to remember who the Gospel of Luke is written to and why he wrote it. It is written to the Greeks. Luke was a Greek scholar, he was a historian and a doctor, and he had a heart for the Greeks to be converted to Christ. So he wrote the book to evangelize Greek-speaking people the non-Jews. So in this gospel, he includes the basic historical events in the life of Christ to show that the gospel is rooted in history. It is true. And you can be saved by believing it and by believing in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, came to seek and to save those who are lost. That, in essence, is the thrust of the book of Luke. Since he is writing to a non-Jewish Greek audience, he brought in some things Mark and Matthew didn't bring in because he had a particular emphasis he wanted to make about Christ, and he couldn't, of course, include everything. He was careful in what he included and what he excluded. It all depended on if it fit the theme that he was working out. So, why did he put this passage in, this parable about prayer, and asking a friend at a very inconvenient time in the middle of the night for some things? What is the purpose? He teaches us in verses 1 through 4, the Lord's Prayer, and then in verses 5 through 13, he tells us some more things about prayer. In fact, one commentator has referred to the book of Luke as the gospel of prayer because prayer plays such a key role in Luke's presentation of the life of Christ. Christ constantly went off to pray at night, Luke tells us. And we see that one of Jesus' main prayers was thanking God that he did not reveal the gospel to the high and the mighty but he revealed it to the meek. 
We see him calling upon the disciples to pray and to pray perseveringly. We are given the Lord's Prayer. And we see many important prayers throughout the book of Luke. Why are all these placed in this evangelistic book? Well, this is what I think the reason is. It is that, and particularly in this 11th chapter, that Luke is describing for his Greek unbelieving audience the way of life for those who know God as their Father and are members of the kingdom of Christ. He has been calling people to repentance, presenting to them the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, and he says, Now if you believe this gospel and you are made the children of God and become disciples of Christ and citizens of His kingdom, here is what your life will look like. Because here is what the life of all the disciples of Christ looks like. They pray. They hallow God's name. They advance God's kingdom. They do God's will. They depend upon God for their daily bread. They stand in need of continual forgiveness from God as they forgive those who have sinned against them. They avoid temptation and evil. They adore and worship God for His kingdom and His power and His glory. And in our text... Believing the promises of God, Christ's disciples live every day of their lives in the certainty that God will always answer their prayers. That's the way life in the kingdom is. That is normal Christian living. And beloved, if it doesn't match your life, there is indeed something wrong. Because what he is saying, is that normal living in God's kingdom is a day-by-day certainty that God will always answer your prayers. In fact, one of the main characteristics of the disciples of Christ is that they pray, which should be expected when you consider the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of the life in that kingdom. For, beloved, what is the greatest blessing you receive from being a member of the kingdom of God and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? The greatest blessing is that you live in daily covenant fellowship with God, your Father in heaven. Of all the wonderful blessings God bestows upon you, that is indeed the greatest. That is the heart of and the soul of our faith. Now we are concerned with the conformity of our lives inside and out to the law of God, and that is an important part of the Christian's life in the kingdom of God. But at the heart of it, the essence of it, the best part of it, the greatest aspect of life in the kingdom is the intimate communion and fellowship that we have with God the Father every day of our lives. And it is through prayer that the disciples of Christ, while they are on this earth, enter into that fellowship. It is the power of God's grace that enables us to walk faithfully as God's disciples in the midst of this evil world. The grace to do this comes from God. 
So it is only natural for the disciple of Christ, who is conscious of his complete dependence on God, to seek from that fountain of all grace, that fountain of life, that fountain of strength, everything he needs to maintain that close walk of personal fellowship with the living God in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, prayer has a very interesting role to play in the life of the kingdom. God has us ask him for things in order to get the things that we need. And he has us ask for things because in that way we learn to seek everything we need from his hands and not from ourselves. And as we learn that lesson, we learn to trust him alone for all things in our life. We become utterly dependent upon Him, and we commit our ways with contentment to His will and to His wisdom. That is the way life is in the kingdom of God. That's the way life is for the child of God. Prayer is the deepest expression of that relationship between our Heavenly Father and His children that exists by grace between God and His people. Now, before we go any further, we should make sure we are on the same page as to what Jesus meant by prayer. Prayer has four essential ingredients, and you should probably write these down. Four essential ingredients. One, prayer is the offering of the desires of our hearts to God. Without that, all prayer, my friends, is fake. You can say the Lord's Prayer, but if you do not desire what you ask, your prayer never gets any higher than the ceiling of this building. You can teach your little children forms of prayer, which are good, as long as, of course, the prayers are good. But if all your little children, your child does is recite those prayers without desiring the things for which he or she prays, it means nothing. Prayer is not prayer unless it is an honest, open expression of the desires of our heart to the living God. Let me introduce to you a pastor by the name of Jean Gerardot. And then I'm going to quote something from him in just a moment. He was a Presbyterian preacher in the South during the late 1800s. And his sermons, by and large, were outstanding. But unfortunately, they were mostly over my head. I have to literally struggle to get through every paragraph. They are so profound, and yet for me, difficult. But John preached those sermons every Sunday in Columbia, South Carolina to hundreds of black slaves. Now that tells you far more about the intelligence of black slaves than we are led to believe by today's media. Here is a quote from this great preacher. He said, The heart must speak or the ear of God is deaf. 
So the first element of true prayer is the expression of what we desire from the living God. Second, true prayer is guided by the revealed will of God contained in Scripture. It is hypocritical to ask for blessings we don't desire, and it is presumptuous for us to pray for things that are contrary to the Word of God. So the more we study the Word of God, the more our desires are shaped by that Word, and the more our petitions are shaped by God's Word, the more our prayers are answered. Gerardou said this, and this should be very helpful to you on this. He said, Let it never be forgotten that there are many specific forms of temporal blessings for which we are often led to pray, which God has never pledged Himself to confer. He gives us promises in general and has reserved to Himself a particular application of them. In such cases, it is manifestly our duty to yield the most perfect deference to His decisions. He promises that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. But He has not promised that this or that particular individual who is sick shall, through prayer, be restored. We are authorized to pray for the recovery of sick people and to believe that our prayer will be answered until... The providence of God decides the contrary, and then it is our duty to submit. So we are to allow the Word of God to shape the content of our prayers. And then when we ask for things that are not particularly promised in the Bible, Lord, save so-and-so, then we submit to the providence and the sovereign will of our God. The third element of true prayer is the reliance of our hearts upon Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. That is what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. We know that we have access to God. No freedom to approach Him on our own except through the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he did while he was on this earth, how he lived a perfect life for us, how he died an atoning death for us, that he arose from the grave for us, he sits at the right hand of God to intercede for us, and it is only because of all of this that God hears our prayers at all. Then fourthly, true prayer is always assisted by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says, The Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groaning that cannot be uttered. Sin has so affected us, friends, even as Christians, that we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. We really don't know what to ask for that is best for us to ask. And even if we did, we don't know how to express it so as to present it correctly to the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that not only stirs our souls up to pray, it is the Holy Spirit that guides us and shows us what we need to pray for. And then He even helps us informing our expressions and our petitions to the living God. You cannot pray without 
the Holy Spirit. So these are the four elements of true prayer. Whenever Jesus talked about prayer, and as we talk about prayer today, we are talking about prayer described by these four things. The expression of the desires of your heart to the living God, desires that are guided and directed by the Word of God, and you do it in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Redeemer, and you do it with the assistance of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let's go to our text. It really begins in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where we have Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And verses 5 through 13 fit naturally with that prayer because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is answering a request from the disciples to teach them how to pray. And having taught them how to pray, the Lord then assures them that if they pray in this manner, their prayers will be answered. What is the point of verses 5 through 13? Before we look at these verses in detail, what is their point. The point is, when we, the disciples of Christ, pray, we should pray with a firm faith that our prayers will be answered. The absolute certainty of answered prayer. That is the point of this text. Not that God answers the prayers of His disciples sometimes. Not that God God answers the prayers of His disciples sometimes. On occasion, the point of this passage of Scripture is that the disciples can be absolutely certain that God will answer all of their prayers. Therefore, nothing should ever deter us from praying or from persevering prayer. You cannot come to God too often, beloved. He always hears believing prayer, and there is no exceptions. Now, notice how Jesus makes the point in verses 5 through 10. In verses 5 through 8, he presents us with a parable. In verse 9, he gives us a command, and in verse 10, he makes us a promise. So let's see how Jesus makes his point about the absolute certainty of answered prayer in the lives of his disciples. First of all, the parable. Let's read verses 5 through 8 again. And he said to them, suppose one of you should have a friend and shall go to him at night and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, don't bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are already in bed. And I cannot give up and get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he'll not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, I want you to notice the words of verse 7. Here's the picture. A man comes to his friend's house because he's in a bit of a pickle. Apparently, another friend of his has showed up at his door in the evening. Now, Christians are to be hospitable. And in the Near East, hospitality was and is a main trait. But they, they only made enough bread for the day. And these were just little cakes about the size of your hand. 
So this man comes to his friend in the middle of the night because he has nothing to feed his traveling friend. He's probably embarrassed and he feels guilty, so he walks over to his other friend's house and he asks for some bread. Now why he thinks his friend has bread, I have no idea. And he goes there so he can be hospitable to his traveling friend. In verse 7, the friend in the house answers, and from inside he shall answer and say, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed, and I cannot give up and give, get up and give you anything. Now, this house probably had one room that served as a kitchen. It served as a bedroom and a dining room or a living area. Now, there are homes like this, of course, in third world nations today. So, there was this family all on their little cots, so to speak, finally asleep. It was very late at night. And this man comes knocking at the door, asking for three loaves of bread. Very specific. The man in the house says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut, and my children and I are already in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that this is the response of a close friend. Now, if you had a close friend, and you came to his house in the middle of the night and said, can you give me some bread? He'd probably ask you if you were losing it. Are you crazy? I'm asleep and all my kids are asleep. Now, if you want to go to possibly Don Wright's or Kevin Falk's house at that time, who are virtually night owls, that might not be their response. But if you show up at my house at that time, I would be concerned that you had totally lost it. So understand, these are not the words of just any old neighbor. These are the words of a close friend. But after the persistence of this man asking for the bread, his friend gets up and gives him not only the three loaves, but whatever he needs. Now, unless you understand the presupposition that I've been emphasizing to you, you will not understand the parable. And the presupposition is that a friendship exists here. A deep personal friendship exists between the man that is knocking at the door at midnight and the guy he wakes up. That's the first thing I want you to notice. These guys are good bodies. And the parable makes the point. Secondly, the request that he makes of his friend is not out of selfishness. But out of necessity, he needs some bread so he can do what the Lord Jesus Christ wants him to do, to be hospitable to his friend. Now, that is important to understand the parable. Because the only people who can expect to have their prayers answered are those who are in friendship with the living God. Those who have an intimate relationship with God, who have been reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ, who love and serve Him, who stand in a relationship of friendship with Him. They and they alone are the ones who can expect with absolute certainty the answering of their prayers. So it is for certain that our Father in heaven will answer our prayers more than a good friend will waken in the middle of the night and finally give his friend everything he needs. You notice this man was generous. He didn't just throw three loaves of bread out to the window to him. He gave him everything he needed. 
But you have to presuppose that friendship. Because of the friendship, the guy who comes to the door expects his friend to provide what he needs. And apart from that friendship, there is nothing. And without our relationship of friendship with Christ, there is nothing for us. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do. Reformedheritage.org. Real simple. Reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by. Reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB Post Mailbox four zero two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 